Good morning and welcome. We have worship services this week, both virtually and an outdoor service. And we want to commend and affirm those who are being COVID careful and are watching the service virtually or coming to the outdoor service and staying in your vehicle and tuning your radio. That is one way to take appropriate precautions and we affirm being COVID careful. We also affirm those who are coming to the outdoor service We will be wearing our masks, observing social distancing, following the guidelines that the county is allowing us to follow at this time. And it's important that we do this well. This week it's been in the news that a church in Northern California had 274 positive cases. They've had to shut down everything. And then... How does it affect their community? And we don't want to be a source of those kind of problems for our neighbors. We don't want to move into a shutdown, so we continue to do our best to do these things well. And now this morning, we're coming into a story in John chapter 10. John chapter 10 brings us a conversation where Jesus is the good shepherd. And it is a picture of what it's like to have a good shepherd and to do life together. And as we move into this story, let's pray. Father in heaven, this is your picture of yourself as the good shepherd, as the gate. As us, as the sheep, but as people who you know by name. And as people that you're willing to embrace and lead. May we be encouraged in this part of your story today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we move into this story, it's worth noting that Jesus knew his audience. We're going to be looking at this story of a good shepherd, of a a protective gate. But this is not a story that was originally given to his followers. It was actually originally given to this group called the Pharisees who Jesus was experiencing conflict with. But this group of Pharisees, they were changing. They had seen Jesus heal a man who had been born blind. And now this is a continuation of that gathering. The Pharisees were changing because they were hearing Jesus and they were seeing what he could do. And then they were having to process it. The Pharisees were no longer this mental monolith that they had been where everyone kept the same rules the same way, thought the same way, because Jesus was sort of disruptive with what he was teaching and what he was doing. And some of them were not going to listen to Jesus no matter what. 
But some of them were beginning to wonder, who is this Jesus? And how is he able to do what he does and to speak the way that he does? And Jesus had been discomforting the comfortable. This can be a good thing. Routines that we have, ways of thinking that we have, can be good. But changes to our routines, which we're experiencing with COVID, and ways of thinking can also be the discomforting work of God. I'd like for us to walk through this story, starting at verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. And in this story, we find that there is a safe place. We have this picture of this enclosure with walls. And the sheep are inside this enclosure. And there's a guarded gate. And, and the good shepherd has access to the gate. But those who are thieves and robbers and enemies or wild animals cannot get in because there is a safe place. And Jesus is the gate that makes it safe. That's good news. You know, sheep are not good at making themselves safe. And here Jesus describes how he is a secure gate and a good shepherd and providing safety. And we find in this story that safety is not defined by absence of threats. It's not defined as if there are no enemies. But safety is defined by having a good shepherd, one who is also the guardian. And the one who is with us when we're hit by the ugly side of life. And as this story begins, it sounds a little bit static, like just come on in and get inside the pen and Jesus will keep you safe and, and you won't have to deal with any of these other things. And it's safe because Jesus is the gate. It's a good thing to know that Jesus is the gate. But as we read through the story, we find that the Good Shepherd doesn't keep us in this gated community. He says, 
follow me, and he leads everybody out of the safe pen. He says, follow me, and following him sometimes means leaving what is comfortable, but knowing that he's with us the whole time. This could even affect the way we view church services, gatherings on Sunday. What if we were to view a Sunday worship time, teaching time, church service, less as this safe place to come to, to recharge with worship and Bible teaching, all of those things are good, but what if we were to view it more as a time to come together to celebrate what following Jesus all week long has been like? It's a different perspective. And remember, Jesus didn't keep the sheep in their gated enclosure. He led them out. John 10, 7. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep, and all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved, and they will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know, this statement is repeated that Jesus knows his sheep and that his sheep know his voice. I have a cousin that I grew up with, and he's now a sheep rancher, has thousands of sheep. And my father also raised one sheep, one ewe. And he wanted to breed that ewe, so he took it to be with Wade's herd of sheep, his whole flock, and to leave it there for a few days. And then my dad came back and, and said to Wade, um, I'm here to, to get my, my you. And Wade says, you know, look out there. He says, I know my sheep. But you don't know them all. You can't pick yours out from all of these sheep. I could give you the scrawniest, sickliest sheep out there and you couldn't tell whether it was mine or yours. And so my dad whistled and one head popped up. Because his sheep knew his voice. And Wade actually quoted these verses. And what a wonderful picture it is of our Lord And when we know his voice, we're going to find that we're secure 
even when we're afraid. We're going to find that we're secure even when it seems dangerous. Because we know his voice. And when we follow him, we're left with a story. And when we're talking story, it gets personal. Today I'm going to do something a little bit different. And that's to take more time to tell some of my story. Conversations of faith are partly about what we believe. And partly they're stories of what it looks like when we follow Jesus. What our lives are like, the turns that we take when we follow Jesus. And we have these stories and we get to know each other as we tell our stories. And I'm going to share a story, my story, today, a piece of it. It's a piece of the story that started three years ago. And it started where I was feeling strong and then noticed that I began to lose strength. It was gradual, but it was noticeable. And then a few months later, I developed this persistent cough, and I'd go to the doctor, and they would say, sounds like the flu or whatever, and then I'd lose more strength. And it it took a number of months. But eventually... Come April, there was a diagnosis and it let me and my family know that we were beginning a journey with cancer. But we were aware that we were not alone, walking alone, in this battle with a kind of cancer that was called mantle cell lymphoma. Jesus, the good shepherd, was with us the whole time. And between April and September of 2018, I would spend seven days out of every ten, either at the doctor's office or receiving chemotherapy or having surgery or having lab tests or being hospitalized, or having fluid drained from my chest, or maybe having transfusions because my blood was so unhealthy I needed to live on the healthy blood of others. On and on. It was just, that was life. The the doctor had told me that my full-time job for the next while would be battling cancer, no work as a pastor, no being around people. This is is to be all-consuming. But it wasn't alone. Jesus was there. And so as we go through those months from April through September, I continued to get weaker. Every time there was a blood test, it was just to say how unhealthy my blood was, how depleted. 
It was a time where I would lose 60 pounds and it's not a really good weight loss strategy. Because it was the kind of weight loss where I was literally shriveling up, scrawny, just a, a skin sack holding bones together. As it progressed, I would spend days and nights where I would struggle to get enough air. And as skinny and scrawny as I got, the one exception was my, my stomach because the spleen was acting like a big lymph node and collecting so much cancer that it was enormous. So much so that I couldn't sit in a 90-degree chair. I could only recline or lay down. And when we talk about getting weaker, it was weak enough that I could just with much effort sign my name. Couldn't button buttons. Couldn't get the lid off of applesauce. Couldn't really eat it anyway. During this time, Donna and our daughters, Mary, Becky, and Julie, and my brother, Ted, they were, they were close by and they were amazing and And also, it was a time when Jesus stayed close. And by the time we got to that point in September, it was literally me on a deathbed. So now I want to backtrack back to that previous April and fill in a couple of blanks. The, the first gathering of me and my family with the oncologist to talk about what we were going to do now that we had a diagnosis was, was one that was very difficult for our doctor, good man. It was not good news. He was using words like a cancer that is very aggressive and incurable, and terminal. He says, but we have a plan to care for you the best we can and to extend your life. And he says, it's actually different parts. We have a plan A. And he told us about this chemotherapy that my kind of cancer didn't often respond to very well, but we were going to try this chemotherapy. And if if it didn't work, there's a plan B. And plan B is a more aggressive chemotherapy that requires hospitalization and uh, all that goes along with that just because of how aggressive this chemotherapy was. But if that didn't work, there's a plan C with, if we could find the correct donor with a bone marrow transplant And if that didn't work, there could be a plan D, which there are these thinkers and researchers and scientists out there who are trying new ideas. And as we're sitting there with the doctor, there was something that took place. I was interrupted, and as soon as we left, I told my wife and daughters about that interruption. I probably sounded like a crazy man, but I came out of that meeting Convinced that God had let me know that he was going to restore my strength with plan D. It sounds kind of goofy to to think about this, but that's, 
That was the takeaway from that day. But I had no concept on that day how much strength I was going to lose. I knew I'd lost some strength, but no way could I have understood how much strength would be lost. But imagine what it was like when plan A chemotherapy failed to have this outlook that says, well, we're a step closer to plan D. Because plan A failed. So we moved into plan B, this more aggressive chemotherapy, and it failed spectacularly, partly because one of the key components to the chemotherapy was something I was allergic to, and my body responded to it in in ways that were awful and ugly and all of that, but we're a step closer to plan D. Plan C was a bone marrow transplant, and my brother turned out to be the perfect match for a donor. And we were taking steps towards this plan D, plan C. But, we, but before we actually executed plan C, the head of cancer research at UCSF came into my room and told us we're not going to do plan C. There's this clinical trial called CAR T-cell immunotherapy. It's a new way to look at cancer, and it's actually become an approved treatment for two kinds of cancer, large B-cell lymphoma and, and childhood leukemia. It's not approved for your kind of cancer, but we're going to try it on you. It's very dangerous. And I found out the reason they were trying it on me was because the, those who were conducting the study, they'd had eight prior patients, and they had made this checklist for patient number nine, and worldwide there was only one patient at that time that checked every box, and it was me. We didn't apply, we didn't answer any questions, right or wrong, it was just the way it was. During all of this, before I tell you about the treatment itself, as hard as it was, it was a amazingly close walk with Jesus through it all. There's a phrase in Psalm 73 that just kept reappearing, and it is that the nearness of God is my good. And with all that was going bad, the nearness of Jesus was good. There was so much love being expressed by Donna and Mary and Becky and Julie, and, and they were amazing. They're my heroes. But there was also the nearness of Christ. And then there's another verse that was just following me around. And in Psalm 30, verse 5, it says that his favor lasts for a lifetime. And this is a verse that first became so important to me 
years earlier on the day that my sister died of cancer. It has also in that same verse the phrase, hold on my child. But also the phrase, his favor lasts for a lifetime. And frequently I would have conversations with Jesus. It wasn't like I had prayer time. It was just that we had conversations throughout the day and the night. And sometimes it would go like this. Oh, Jesus, this is a really hard day. But at least I'm one of your favorites. And thank you for being here the whole time. Thank you that I don't have to go through this alone. He was so close and so constant as we followed him through this battle with cancer. And it was a, every, every week was declined from the previous week. As dangerous as this clinical trial was, one of the criteria on that checklist, since it wasn't approved, is they wanted somebody that was going to die anyway because it was so dangerous. I don't want to take too much time, but give a little description of what this treatment was. There is... In our blood system, there's something that's called a T-cell, and the T-cell is a part of our blood that attacks disease. And my T-cells were not attacking the cancer because they did not see the cancer as an enemy. It was just part of my body. And some brilliant researchers had thought, what if this antigen receptor that would make the T-cells recognize this mantle cell lymphoma as cancer, what if such a chimeric antigen receptor could be put inside of a T-cell? And these scientists that had seen how a virus can get inside of a T-cell figured out a way for this receptor to piggyback on a virus, and they took a cupful of my T-cells that were removed by having my blood circulate outside my body through a centrifuge and then back in, but they kept these T-cells. And they took them to a laboratory and uh, put them in an environment where they would continue to reproduce until there were 19 million T-cells. And then they were infected with a virus that piggybacked this, this magic bullet, this antigen receptor and after the getting inside the t-cell the the viruses would die and go away but they left this behind in the t-cells and when they brought them back to me um, a month later they'd just been trying to keep me alive and the day that they injected those t-cells back into my body the person who did it said happy birthday and the head of cancer research and these other doctors, there's a room full of doctors coming to watch this injection. And I was to be the first of these patients at UCSF 
for mantle cell lymphoma. And it immediately began to kill the cancer cells at such a rate that it was horrific, what it did to my body. And to survive the treatment was very, very difficult. Only a third of us who were treated even survived the treatment. I got worse, but I reached a point that was a really, really good day because it was the low point. And every day of the next year was a little better than that low point. They continued to test me, and going from stage four cancer, 30 days later, it was stage zero, it was gone. Overwhelming just to even say it. It was gone. And as amazing as this is, when I look back, there was not some sense of Jesus being closer when I was healed than he was when I was sick. I would have never chosen to go through this, but as I look back now, I wouldn't miss it for anything because not only for me, but for my wife and for others, it was so different to go through it with Jesus than what it would have been to go through it alone. I don't have answers for a lot of things. Why did I get well and my sister died? It's interesting, though, the conversations that I can have. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. When we follow the good shepherd, we're left with a story. And when we talk the story, the story is very personal. Anyone who follows Jesus can talk about walking through life following Jesus. For me, I can talk about the the miracle of healing, but there's also the miracle of access. Why was I chosen? I don't have an answer for that. There's this amazing medical science, but it's also the timing of it. If I had been sick At a different time, not only just a year earlier, there's nothing. A year later, the the study had been shut down until they could figure out how to get more people to survive the treatment. And by the way, just a couple of months ago, this treatment was now made available for all mantle cell lymphoma patients. It's been approved. 
and the timing of being included before it was even approved and all, all of those pieces, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it. But I trust Jesus. And I'm still following And he takes us places and he leaves us with a story. The last verses I read said it's not only for those that are the sheep that are in his pen, but he says there are others who are not yet my sheep, but they will be. And one of the ways that we can let people know that there is this Jesus that can be trusted is because we've got stories to tell. May we listen to his voice and follow him well. Father in heaven, you're faithful. All of our hope and trust is in you. Thank you for letting us walk through life with you and thank you for leaving us with stories of your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.